In geological time, water molecules have been grand travelers, each finding its way everywhere, touching down every place. Water is dynamic and on the move, flowing as water, rising as steam when heated to 100 degrees Celsius, and freezing into solid form as ice at zero degrees Celsius. The water cycles through, riding thermals, now as a vapor, now as a droplet, now as a speck of ice coalesced around a particle of dust nine miles high in the troposphere. It is now in the air as mist, now as rain within a cloud, now as a speck of ice coalesced around a particle of dust nine miles high in the troposphere. It eventually makes its way poleward and falls as snow, then melts, running off into the North Atlantic to follow currents carrying it downward, finding its way to an upwelling then drifting on the surface until it evaporates once more. Water molecules move around the planet quite rapidly, in the sky as clouds and in vapor form. And when that fresh water is released, that sort of drinking water, that is water that waters agricultural fields um, and feeds people. And then that water from rivers and, and lakes that came from glaciers either evaporates and goes back into the atmosphere and then maybe falls with snow again back on the glaciers. Falling as snow to build an ice sheet in Greenland, then melting into liquid after warming, then flowing downriver, sometimes hundreds to thousands of miles, toward the ocean. Runs into the ocean, and then also then evaporates, and then maybe falls somewhere as, as rain or snow on glaciers, and that whole process starts, starts over again. We've already talked about how a glacier forms, geological time, glacier travel, the significance of glaciers to other organisms, and we've introduced the topic of glacier retreat. In this episode, we are going to focus on that transition of solid glacier ice into liquid fresh water. Life depends upon glaciers as a water source. I mean, glaciers constitute the largest reservoir of freshwater storage on the planet. Some say the world will end in fire. Some say in ice. This is the Ice and Fire podcast, and I'm your host, Teresa Soli. Here, we listen to glaciers melt actively as they transition from solid form into liquid water. And we hear from scientists as well as indigenous perspectives in order to better understand the repercussions of climate change in Alaska and beyond through place-based narrative and storytelling. Oh, it's been here almost a week, six days, and yeah. it's melted back 40 centimeters. But that's kind of on the low end for these ice cliffs. Uh, that uh, that one over there that they just that they just got a, a visual on, uh, it melted out uh, over a meter in that same time. I think I know enough of fate to know that for destruction, ice is also great and would suffice. As temperatures warm above 0 degrees Celsius or 32 degrees Fahrenheit, water changes state from solid into liquid form. In this episode, we will discuss global temperature rise induced by anthropogenic climate change and how this change impacts glaciers and water, why this matters. Then melts, running off into the North Atlantic to follow currents carrying it downward, finding its way to an upwelling 
then drifting on the surface until it evaporates once more. We're sharing audio and science stories from Greenland in this episode. This is in part to express the global significance of changing ice as temperatures rise worldwide from a global, holistic lens. We're beginning aboard research vessel Neil Armstrong. You have this really dynamic boundary between sort of water in a frozen state and then water in its liquid state in the ocean. That's Aurora Rowe. I am a glaciologist and oceanographer, and so I study what happens when meltwater from melting glaciers goes into the ocean. And for a moment here, I'd like to bring attention to the fact that the largest reservoir of freshwater on Earth, which was stored as solid ice while frozen as a glacier, is now melting, flowing, meeting, and mixing with ocean water, making it part of the salty sea, and no longer accessible as a freshwater reservoir. So this past summer, we were doing field work um, off the off the coast of southeast and southwest Greenland. But we had a, a stretch, a, a warm period of just really warm uh, temperatures. We were doing work on the boat, like in t-shirts. Um, everyone had their sunglasses on, like we were worried about getting sunburned. But this just was unusually warm and unusually calm, too. There was like no wind on the water, like the water was totally flat and glassy. Um, and this lasted for, for days in a way that was almost eerie because there was no wind. There'd be lots of like fog on the water in the morning from the, the temperature changes from morning, from night to morning. But Alaska's also in the midst of an unprecedented heat wave. Scientists are warning of dramatic changes at one of the biggest glaciers in Antarctica. The Swan Lake fire has been raging for a month. The pace of change in parts of the Antarctic is accelerating. Glaciers in the state melting at record rates. An iceberg nearly the size of Atlanta broke off in Antarctica. Is slipping toward the sea at an unprecedented rate. We had internet on the on the ship so we could like look at the news, which is maybe a, a well-kept secret that we're actually probably more connected than you would think. And uh, we saw headlines then a couple days later saying that basically this was one of the largest melt events that Greenland had ever experienced from this warm weather that we were experiencing on the boat. So this large melt event for Greenland occurred in the summer of 2022. According to the U.S. National Oceanic and Atmospheric Administration, this heat wave created a huge surface melt event of an area just larger than the size of Texas. And this was just one of a few heat waves creating enormous melt events for Greenland ice in summer and fall of 2022. Greenland melt is typically expected to peak in July, and such a large melt event this late in the summer into early fall had not been documented before. Some say the world will end in fire. Some say in ice. According to Copernicus, the European Union's Climate Change Service, temperatures in September of 2022 were not only the highest on record, but they were 8 degrees Celsius or 14.4 degrees Fahrenheit above what used to be expected as normal. According to the World Meteorological Organization, the past eight years are the warmest on record globally. An article in the New York Times published today, July 6, 2023, writes, The past three days were quite likely the hottest in Earth's modern history, scientists said on Thursday, 
as an astonishing surge of heat across the globe continued to shatter temperature records from North America to Antarctica. The spike comes as forecasters warned that the Earth could be entering a multi-year period of exceptional warmth, driven by two main factors, continued emissions of heat-trapping gases, mainly caused by humans burning oil, gas, and coal, and the return of El Nino, a cyclical weather pattern. Earth's hottest days on record were July 3rd, 4th, and 5th. For the three decades since satellites have been in place to watch the poles, more than a quarter of the once permanent pack ice has disappeared. The melting of ice, the weakening of the hydrogen bonds that hold water molecules in the lockstep crystalline structure of ice, requires a great deal of heat. That heat does not change the temperature of the ice or water. The heat does nothing more than weaken the hydrogen bonds between molecules. After the ice is gone, after the hydrogen bonds are weakened, after the solid collapses into a formless liquid, add heat and the temperature soars. Aboard research vessel Neil Armstrong with PhD candidate Aurora Rowe. So my brain automatically goes to, okay, if this is you know one of the largest melt events ever, all that water is going somewhere. All of that water is going into the ocean. What does that mean? And that's part of why we were there on the boat to collect that data and try to understand that question. Aurora's research deepens understanding of areas where freshwater meets and mixes with seawater and why this turbulent zone is important. If it's really cold and really fresh, then that water is from the glacier in a sort of simplistic way. And if the water is warm and really salty, that water is from the open ocean, from the Atlantic Ocean that is coming in to these fjords. And so the fingerprint signal of sort of where water comes from is the temperature and salinity. To assess this mixing of fresh and salt water. And so we're putting this instrument almost a kilometer down into the ocean um, and measuring temperature and salinity on the way down and on the way up. We also uh, take water samples at various points in the water too, and then uh, we'll analyze what's in the water and different isotopes in the water back in the lab. Data can be collected in real time with instruments in the field or set for long periods as we learned about for other methods of glacier research. We have sort of measurements that we collect in the field um, when we're in the field and then we also deploy instruments that stay in the field even after we're gone that keep measuring things in the water. This allows Aurora's research team to gain insight about how quickly Greenland storage or reservoir of fresh water is melting into the ocean before they melt. These ice sheets and glaciers have sort of locked in um, these water molecules, and I like to think of them as even like slowing them down. And there we have been at the um, AP Olsen outlet glacier. They installed the seismic network. And, um, well, yeah, like the experience that I had was that it was very soft up there. So a reduced amount of colors. There's been some white from the snow and some brown and gray from the rocks. So it was very quiet. I didn't hear any noise from the environment, which was like very stunning for me because I didn't experience this in, in the natural environment before. That's Stefan Myrtle, a geoscientist who does seismic monitoring from Vienna, Austria, 
but we're hearing from his work on top of the Greenland ice sheet. While Aurora measures temperature and salinity variables when freshwater meets the ocean, Stefan uses another research method, and he has translated his hard data into audible sound. In Greenland, there was nothing to hear. And this was like the, the trigger for me to, to search for the sound that I can't hear at this place, but that I know it is there because the ice is cracking, some water is flowing in the glaciers. So I know that there is something going on, but I just can't hear it. And this was somehow the starting point of all this um, sonification um, project. So now we're listening to a different form of sound. Audio coming from within a glacier called the sonification. We're now on top of the Greenland ice sheet, listening into it, but also listening to a new language. My work that I did in, in Greenland was to monitor the outburst of a glacier dammed lake and the data that we got. So after processing it, I thought about how to turn it into something audible and I used like the method of sonification to transform the seismic data. Seismology is the study of earthquakes and seismic waves produced by the earth. Seismic data is typically a visual record of these wave signals. Which is usually in a low frequency range that you can't hear into the audible range to make it yeah, so that people can listen to it and to just hear what's going on in the underground. Or in this case, under the ice. We went to this glacier in Greenland and there we installed a small seismic network consisting of some stations. So we placed geophones, that's basically similar to a microphone, which records the ground vibration and turns it into a a voltage that we can record, so we get some kind of time series. And then the sonification is a method to turn um, data into an audio signal based on some um, defined method that can be reproduced. So the most simple type of um, sonification of seismic signals would to play it um, with the faster tempo, this would compress the time and the low frequency would be moved into a higher frequency range so you can hear it. So this is a translated audible wave record of what was occurring within the ice, the Greenland ice sheet, as it moves and changes. The ice quakes which dominated the seismic signature on the glacier is dominated by these ice quakes, which are basically um, the opening and closing of the crevices on the glacier. And this is the dominant um, signal that you record on a, on a glacier. The seismic data collected on ice is very different than the seismic data collected on land, because solid glacier ice is moving and cracking all of the time. And when you take a look at it from a wider view like a, a whole hour, these small icebergs just turn into a steady monotone, or not monotone, just a, a steady background noise that you have 
um, all the time on the glaciers. It's just setting a new sense of normalcy for seismic data, the constant ice quakes occurring within a glacier. And we can only hear it because this seismic data is translated into a sonification, into audible sound that we are listening to. Ice quakes. I like thinking about all this movement, these waves, happening audibly within a glacier while walking or working atop the ice. I wanted to provide a sound texture for people who listen to it to drift away and maybe to find similar emotions that I had when I stayed at this remote glacier in Greenland. Back on research vessel Neil Armstrong. These ice sheets and glaciers have sort of locked in um, these water molecules, and I like to think of them as even like slowing them down. But melting is part of, is a natural process and part of, of glaciers and ice sheets. And so eventually when it's sort of that time <laughs> to melt and, and there's warmer temperatures in the summertime, that fresh water is then released. So what was a reservoir of frozen fresh water now? after melting when temperatures rise above zero degrees Celsius, starts to move and flow more quickly as liquid fresh water. In this phase, water is accessible for many organisms on the planet. You know, looking at uh, and understanding the impact of melting glaciers and access to fresh water across the globe, that is one of the larger, I think, One Health issues facing us today. Access to water, access to good, pure water, um, is important for people, it's important for animals, it's important for plants, and it certainly is um, a result of the health of the environment. That's Dr. Arlie Reynolds, the director of the Center for One Health Research at the University of Alaska Fairbanks, sharing the importance of water to living organisms around the world. One Health allows us to consider human, animal, and ecosystem health holistically because all parts of the system are interconnected. After the reservoir of fresh water, which was stored as solid ice, melts, flows into, eventually mixing with the sea, becomes seawater, it is not so accessible to living organisms. And so this process of glaciers sort of collecting water molecules and holding them and slowing them down and then sort of releasing them at a, at a good time in the rhythm of the seasons is what makes glaciers and ice sheets really important. The problem with in, in a warming world and with our climate crisis is that we are melting glaciers faster than our water cycle can replenish them and that snow and those water molecules can turn back into ice. Um, and so we're almost sort of out of balance in that we have sort of more water going into <laughs> rivers, going into the ocean, and then as glaciers disappear, uh, then you also just completely lose that reservoir aspect of glaciers. In this episode of the Ice and Fire podcast, we have really been focusing on temperature rise triggered by anthropogenic climate change and how it is causing glacier ice, this grand and major reservoir of freshwater, to change form from solid into liquid, allowing it to move rapidly toward the ocean. We have teased apart connections involving climate, temperature increases, and water molecules. Through the entire season, we have taken a holistic approach looked back in time and considered indigenous science. We have learned that traditional ecological knowledge may offer us insight as we move forward and face climate change realities. 
Plans for future seasons of the Ice and Fire podcast are underway and funding dependent. Expect more themes involving ice and fire. More exciting storytelling. Examinations of our cryosphere, how it's changing, and why it matters to the ecosystem and humankind. I hope that next season will offer more answers, more proposals for how we should shift personally, communally, and within our societal system. We'd like to hear from you with ideas that inspire the next season of Ice and Fire about how to build and maintain optimism, insight about climate action, and any beautiful story pitches. Fill out the survey linked on our website or send a direct message. In our next and the last episode of this season, we will dissect Robert Frost's poem, Fire and Ice, and grapple with climate anxiety that can come with climate awareness and climate action. But let's close episode six with this thought. I had this like feeling of like being connected to this whole ecosystem thread and that glaciers were a big driving force of that. A melting glacier is not just a melting glacier. It's a, it's a thread that pulls on the entire fabric of an ecosystem. Thanks to researchers, professors, and PhD candidates Aurora Roth, Stefan Myrtle, and Dr. R. Lee Reynolds from the University of Alaska Fairbanks Center for One Health Research for sharing precious time, knowledge, and audio. And to Bill Strever and his son Ish Strever for sharing written and audio excerpts from the book Cold. Glaciers sing like canaries. Some of the field audio utilized in this episode was collected by Aurora Roth onboard research vessel Neil Armstrong in 2022. Much of the freshwater melt audio was collected on melting glaciers in Alaska in 2022. Financial support for this podcast came from Alaska EPSCoR and the National Science Foundation, the University of Alaska Fairbanks Graduate School in the form of a travel grant, the Alaska Center for Innovation, Commercialization, and Entrepreneurship, Center ICE, as well as the National Science Foundation Innovation Core Program. This material is based upon work supported by the National Science Foundation under award number OIA 1208927 and by the state of Alaska. Any opinions, findings, and conclusions or recommendations expressed in this material are those of the author and do not necessarily reflect the views of the National Science Foundation. This podcast was hosted, written, and narrated by Teresa Soli, and edited and produced by myself, Mary Ald. And to close, here's a note from Aurora about her research and contribution to this episode. I want to acknowledge that I'm an outside white scientist from the U.S., talking about my experience in Greenland, but that there's many different narratives and that Greenland is the source of their own, their own change and driving their own future.